Hello, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I'm going to begin by reading out of 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 1. You can join me there. And uh, yeah, you may notice uh, my voice is a little different today. Either I'm preparing for my next career in radio, or I have the lingering effects of a cold. Nevertheless, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This weekend is Mother's Day weekend. and. How old your kids are greatly impacts what your expectations are as a mother. If your children are tiny tots, yeah, you don't expect all that much. You're not envisioning them making you breakfast in bed, presenting you with flowers and a thoughtful card. It's pretty well up to dad if he's on the ball. Such pressure. But as your kids get older, you do hope and do expect for more. And you are moved when they go out of their way to do something special for you. And I do think there are some clear parallels to Scripture in this regard. We are called God's children, and we start out as tiny tots, spiritually speaking. In the beginning, it's all new to us. You learn to crawl in the Christian faith, and that is normal and acceptable. But the expectation of Scripture is that the longer we go, we should grow into maturity. And that is why our vision statement talks about growing followers. And this expectation is not a leap. When a mother welcomes a child into this world, despite the pain of childbirth, there's so much joy and dreams and hopes for what that child will be. And it is only in the most unusually sad cases that the child fails to develop. And when that happens, something has gone tragically wrong. Now, God describes our spiritual relationship in terms of family. And much like a parent, Scripture shows that God wants and hopes the best for us his kids, desiring for us to become fully developed, mature followers of Jesus. And as any good parent does, but to an infinitely greater degree, God invests in his kids. Emotionally, sacrificially, caringly, lovingly, making it possible for us not only to start a relationship with him, but to grow in that relationship. And as you read the scriptures and, and take in the story, you soon recognize that the magnitude 
of what God has done for you and I is far greater than we first imagined, and that all of it is undeserved. We have a label for this. It's called grace, and that is something we are to steward. We often tend to look at grace in very personal terms. It's for me personally, something that I receive personally, and that is true, but God has something beyond that in mind. Ask any mother about this. A mother's hope is not only for the well-being of her kids individually, but for her kids together as a family. And how hard it is when the siblings don't get along, when there are rifts or tensions or even separation among her children. That really matters. A mom's desires for peace, for love, for harmony, for the one and for the all together. You might remember two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Peter and Jesus at the fireside on the shores of Galilee and the risen Christ and Peter, a failed follower. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Then tend my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Then feed my sheep. It's hard to miss. The message of Jesus to Peter and to us, to love Jesus is is to love others. And Peter was to do that in a role of leadership by giving oversight to the church, caring, protecting, feeding. You have your role. As it was for Peter, so it is for you and I. The grace you have received in Christ is for your own personal well-being. It is also for more. Your salvation and your growth in God is not just for yourself. It is for the church. It is for the world. That who you are what God is doing in you and what he has uniquely handed to you in the way of gifting would be influenced through you for the eternal benefit of others. It is Peter who will write these words of stewardship in 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to steward one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's a well-known saying, your life is God's gift to you. What you do with your life is your gift to God. If you are a Christ follower, not only are you physically alive, unique with consciousness, a will, a mind, awareness, the ability to make choices, and the wonder of all that, you have also experienced a miraculous new birth in Christ. Peter says in chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God has made you a new creation suitable for God's presence to live within you. That's amazing. And along with that, you've been given a unique gift or gifts from God, grace by which you are able to impact others for the good. And how you live that out matters. We are urged to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, to back up a bit, it begins with a certain mindset. As children admire their parents and older siblings and want to be like them, we look to God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our model. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Peter clearly portrays two ways to live here. To, to follow in the way of Jesus, you have to think in the way of Jesus. Your mind plays a powerful role in the trajectory of your actions. 
the word arm does have a military connotation to it. It is in our minds to be ready to fight, to be willing to suffer, and to do the will of God as opposed to indulgence and the, the will of your selfish passions. In small and big ways, this is a battle we are often confronted with. I mean, how, how is it for you just getting out of bed in the morning? On the, de uh, on the days I get to bed too late, or for whatever reason I don't sleep well through the night, the morning battle in my mind of getting up, doing what is right and responsible, I mean, I've actively got to fight the desire to sleep a little longer and, and then a little longer. I mean, this is mostly harmless, but it is illustrative of the much bigger battles we face in our head. You know what I'm talking about. Two ways to live by. The way of the world and the way of Jesus. And they are vastly different. One is characterized by human passion here. Peter gives us quite a list in case you were wondering how that plays out. In Abbotsford, I mean, you can probably still isolate yourself from that way of thinking. You can hang out strictly in Christian circles. Stay away from developing any meaningful relationships that don't share your religious beliefs. And it is a survival strategy, but it is not a missional one. In John 17, Jesus prayed that his disciples would be in the world, but not of the world. This is a big ask. Our cultural current is strong with a, a much different sexual ethic and understanding of basic identity and humanity. And so it was in Peter's day. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, Peter says, and they malign you. So what is the way of resistance? Arm your mind. And one of the ways we do that is to intentionally place ourselves in community where God's way will be reinforced. This is important for us as adults to place ourselves in, in church again, in a community group, in all of the different sizes that we do here, threes and fours, small groups, mid-sized groups, and also like how important for our kids, things like kids' church, even we college. And there, there is the personal rhythms of prayer and reading scripture. They all add up. Our, our intake has a huge impact on our ability to live countercultural while we live in the culture. Recently, we talked about the theme of the gospel. God's good news story from Genesis to Revelation is important for us to start in our relationship with God, but also to continue in our relationship with God. We need to think on it, rehearse it over and over again. And throughout Peter's writing, this is what he does. He constantly reminds Christians of a particular part of the gospel story that we are part of. Verse 5, speaking of those who choose the way of self-indulgence instead of the way of God. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In our culture, we are constantly messaged to live for the moment. And nobody said doing whatever feels good in the moment isn't pleasurable. It's just that it leads to regret, often soon enough, regret in the present. And Peter reminds us, most certainly in the future. In the story of God, there is a coming judgment of God, and we should want to be on the right side of it. And that's what God wants for you. And Peter gives us an example, verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. 
There are a number of ways that people understand these words. And universalists like to see this as God giving a second chance to those who are dead by preaching the gospel to them. But this goes against the whole intentions of Peter's writing to, to live ready. Why live ready if you get another chance anyway? The most obvious interpretation comes by keeping the verse in context. Peter has just said, God will judge the living and the dead. Verse 6 is connected with the word for, and is simply stating that with the judgment in mind, the gospel has been preached to those who were alive but who have died, so that instead of a judgment to condemnation, by believing the gospel, their future is one of life. They might live in the spirit the way God does. The Christians Peter is writing to used to live contrary to God's way, but they are to be stirred to right thinking and action, to let the picture of accountability with God be a good thing. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter is not coming up with his own ideas here. As a close follower of Jesus, he is teaching what he learned. As Jesus talked about the future events in Luke 21, Jesus said this, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. When Jesus left his disciples after his resurrection and ascended into the sky, the angel said, Boys, he's coming back the same way you saw him go into the heavens. We are to be ready. One of my sons-in-law sons on more than one occasion um, has had us in stitches as he tells us of some of his youthful experiences. Just after graduating from high school, the parents of his prom date asked him to house it for them while they and their daughter were away for vacation. They said he could have some friends over, and so he did. And he was somewhat responsible, but his friends were, you know, teenagers. Uh, this was a swanky house, and his friends enjoyed exploring every corner in the home, including jumping on the master bed, throwing pillows at each other, eating and leaving food in different rooms. According to his account, my son-in-law was trying to clean up behind them. Finally, one of his friends said to him, Justin, relax. We'll all come back the day before the parents come home, and we'll do a cleanup together. Sounded like a good plan. Except on the designated cleanup day, Justin got to the house after work, and as he went to enter the house, it was unlocked. That's strange, he thought. I'm sure I locked it when I left. And then he stepped into the home. He saw the pillows on the living room couch, now nicely placed in order. And as he walked into the kitchen, he was warmly welcomed. The mom was there, finishing up the pile of dishes that had been left scattered behind. Hello, Justin. Didn't my husband tell you I was coming back a day early? That was embarrassing, memorable, funny. The return of Jesus will be no funny matter. Be alert, be watchful, Jesus says. You want Jesus to find you ready. Our story is headed to a finish that culminates in the glory of God being revealed as Jesus returns. If that's true, it has got to shape how we think and live. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager 
Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. One of the ways we live ready is in stewarding our gift or gifts. Peter is going to talk to us about that, but before he gets there, he wants to make sure that we steward our gift in a certain kind of environment together. And the first thing that comes to mind for Peter is prayer. Living out our faith is not possible on our own strength. We have to have the participation of God in our lives. Prayer is the way we plug into God's grace of wisdom and power. This is and always should be a high value for us individually and as a church. Hey, we all, we all want to be part of something wherein we see God at work doing the impossible personally, corporately. I don't see it happening without prayer. Prayer releases the potential of God. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is every mother's desire for her family, an environment of love. And today it's like there is an epidemic to divide and hurt. We find it difficult to make space for those of different opinions from ours. We're quick to judge. The communication through different channels of social can be so cruel. People make mistakes and then we jump all over them, using their mistakes as a weapon against them. That's not love. Love covers a multitude of sins. This does not mean that love fails to confront sin and to confront injustice, but where it can rightly do so, once sin has been dealt with, rather than being all too happy to expose a person's mistakes, love protects protects that person by never bringing it up again. Love. And just so that we don't let love be a nice idea, Peter gets right to an action that expresses love. In verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In the first century times, hospitality could be a matter of life and death, or at least spiritual life. There's little third space and no hotel chains. Available accommodations could be unsafe and places of temptation. The word hospitality comes from two words, philo, meaning love, and xenos, meaning stranger, foreigner. You've heard of xenophobia. This is the opposite. Love of the stranger, love of the foreigner. Everyone is to be welcome at Jesus' table, and everyone is worthy of our service. Which leads us to the most important way that we demonstrate love, by stewarding our gifts. Let me read it again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Growing up, I participated in a lot of team sports. A winning team is not always the team with the best players, but the team where everyone is committed to work together. Individuals know their role and make their particular contribution focused on the team, not so much on themselves. And it is so rich and rewarding when that happens, because as the team then so often wins, and so do you. In his wisdom, God has structured the church to be made up of all kinds of people, with different kinds of gifts. People are varied, the gifts are varied, and the church is at its best when in an atmosphere of prayer and love, each person stewards their gifts well. Each person. You have a gift, or gifts, not earned, given, nothing to boast about, Grace, no one is excluded. 
in family and community. We can help one another discern. We use the acronym ICNU. Let's call our gifts out in one another because they're there. We are all gifted. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Not just human talents, a spiritual gift is an endowment, a divine strength or ability given by God, not for self-consumption, but to build the church and or extend God's kingdom. You've been gifted. God is invested in you. This is the Bible. This is truth. Are you stewarding that gift well? It is tragic when our gifts sit dormant. There is a, there's a joy when we find ourselves serving in the place for which God has equipped us for. A dormant gift misses out on that, and, and the community of faith is robbed of the contribution that gift would bring. And I know we have our reasons. Sometimes we project on ourselves a, a gifting that God has not given to us. We, we want to be like someone else. We, we try to fill a role that God hasn't called us to or equipped us for. And we end up frustrated, and then we withdraw. Sometimes our faith has gone cold. And sometimes we've been wounded in our area of gifting. We stepped out, we acted on our gift, and we were criticized, like Timothy might have been for his youth. So Paul had to encourage him not to fear, but to fan his gift into flame again. Some of us have felt used when we did serve, and we're not sure if we want to go there again. Some of us are tired. Serving even in the area of our gifting seems like too much right now. Volunteerism is in churches all over North America is way down. But there is so much opportunity, like you've heard today, serve chain and helping out Ukrainians who are reestablishing themselves here in Canada. Kids Church, it goes on and on. Areas to serve and discern our gifting. We should remember that Peter is writing to a group of Christians of which suffering and persecution is their common experience. You could say it was not an ideal time to think about serving one another with their gifting. When I played team sports, there were some times when you had to dig deep to find the effort to win. In hockey, you sometimes played tournaments in which you played several games in one day. Your bodies were sore and tired and you, you played through pain. But there was something so bonding and so gratifying to be on that journey together as every player made their contribution. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. In other places in scripture, we are given lists of the kind of gifts that God gives. It can be helpful to group them in three categories. Gifts of service, which demonstrate the love of God in practical ways. Word gifts, they clarify who God is and what he expects of us. Power gifts, they demonstrate the presence and power of God and his reality. Peter gives us examples from two of those categories, one of the word and one of service. And it's not a matter of elevating any one gift above another but that each gift should be unto God and empowered by God with the strength that God gives for this purpose, the glory of God.
there is a lot at stake. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We don't want our gifts to sit dormant because God will not have been glorified in the way that he rightfully should be. It is spring, a time when we witness a number of rites of passage, graduations from high school, university, the beginning of the wedding season. It's so surreal as a parent. You have these memories of your kids as toddlers and tykes with so much potential for life. And there were all kinds of challenges and bumps on the road, but here they are. And it's remarkable what they have become. Is it any wonder there is so much emotion on these days? God has a vision for us as individuals and as a church. And because of him, we have great potential. His desire is for us to increasingly grow and develop, to live in deeper relationship with him through prayer, in relationship with one another through love, characterized by hospitality and serving one another with the gifts he has given so that God would be glorified in us and through us. This is his joy and delight over you, his child, and he will empower us to make it happen. Sometimes we can get down on the church. Maybe it's not what you had hoped for. It's disappointed you, and yet it is God's plan for the world. What's the solution? You are. We are. We have so much potential. Imagine the church to be made up of people who are what you hope for, and then be that person yourself. If you pray, if, if I pray, if you love, if I love, if you serve in the gifting God has given you, if I serve in the gifting God has given me, if you do this and I do this and we do this, imagine, pray love, fan into flame your gift, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever.